Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Julie Knudsen with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 151. I'd like to thank all the new listeners and new people that are on here. Um, again, it, it's so, I really enjoy hearing, uh, you know, getting feedback and, and getting questions, and, and I appreciate the listenership. I really do, and, and uh, I enjoy being able to at least help a little bit on some of this stuff. So thank you for for the feedback and you know we'll just keep going and there's a lot of stuff to cover in this dog world so we'll just keep going today i'm going to give a g update because she's back in action all the time and then address some listener questions that have come up uh in the past i try to get to those but sometimes i and sometimes i combine them um just so that it's not not just that so the g update so g is six and a half months old now and I had to pull her I pulled her out of the upland field and couldn't really run marks run retrieves with her because suddenly we were fascinated with bird bodies and suddenly coming back was was not so much so we stepped out of those two things and that's hard I know for a lot of people to do because it's like no this is why I got this dog and they want to keep going but when a problem behavior arises it's my tendency to stop whatever is creating that behavior and take steps back more toward the fundamentals. Just a real simple approach, but it, it, uh, you don't have to be, you know, have all kinds of tricks of the trade to do it. You just step back, stop causing, doing whatever's bringing about the behavior. So we went back, we've been working force fat. She's, she's not, force fetched yet but she's well on her way she understands the concept of of reaching uh when i ask her to and there's so there's a lot in that you know because she'll do it three or four times and call it good and she's done and no we're not done i say when we're done but we're working on that so that's getting into her head on you don't make all the choices on this stuff little girl i do and i think at this age with these dogs right around six months where you're beginning the formal training that's a really important aspect. There's not high pressure. There's not, this is not a big unpleasant thing. Really it, for me, in my mind, what I'm doing is taking this dog and going, now I'm going to teach you this simple response, which is to reach for the bumper. And I want you to do nothing but think about that response. And I'm not going to do it too much. And I'm not going to do it unpleasantly, but I'm going to do it until you've yielded and just respond to me and remove her choice and what she wants to do on that. If I can remove dog choices in appropriate places like this now, then later on when we get more into the advanced handling and we're doing things, that's already taken care of. And I don't know if that makes sense. If you haven't trained a dog through this, this uh, meaty uh, fundamental stuff, it may not make sense, but I like to it in a not a high pressure way but in a teaching way begin to teach them there are some places where I'm just you just are going to do what I ask and instead of fighting with them and using high pressure I'm going to do it here on these small subtle things so that's where we are with her and she's uh that's working very well I have her sister here too and now and she's coming in you know she didn't have the advantage of being a professional trainers every all of her puppy life but she's <clears throat> coming in right behind her very similar same kind of response she's on the force fetch matter of fact she's even a little bit quicker on that so um those things are going well we've gone back out into the upland field i've shown that video um still has that great point 
And this time when we shot the bird that she pointed, she, she brought it back. I had to ask several times, but again, she's a little guy. Um, and I had, and I got her back and I got the bird in my hand and both of her birds. So we're back in the upland field and now I have the bird return. And we've also been doing the marks. Those are the retrieves where you sit and watch something go down. And she'll bring back uh, bumpers, the thunder launcher thing. She'll bring that back. She'll bring back uh, chucker, pheasant, and ducks. Now the ducks, when they're kind of big and heavy, we don't have the best bird handling behavior yet on those things. Um, but just a little more experience and her just understanding what this kind of big heavy bird is should be good. So things are going well. So we're on the force fetch. We're able to run marks now with the big dogs. She loves it. And actually, she'll just happily go after a bumper right now, uh, you know, if there's a big boom with it. The gun is a part of everything now. So, you know, she's had it as a youngster a little bit further away. And now, you know, whether we have the thunder launcher or the big max blasters that we use or you actually shoot the bird, um, all good for her. So things are going on a, on a good track right there. Let's get to uh, one of the listener questions now. And I'll, I'll read this. And so in case I'm misinterpreting things. So what are the different and similar approaches needed for training for upland retrieves versus training for waterborne retrieves? Um, I'm primarily interested in training for hunting, but would love to learn how to approach this for trials. What training overlaps and transfers from one type of retrieve to the other? What does not? Um, okay. If I understand that, perhaps we think differently. I, I don't know if you're talking about land and water retrieves. Um, if that's the difference, because upland tends to be land retrieves unless you're next to bodies of water. Uh, and then there's the duck, the waterfowl stuff. I would not... And I do not differentiate um, in my training, whether it's upland or whether I, I do land retrieves, water retrieves. So that's how I'm going to break this down because the majority of upland uh, retrieves are on land. A lot of times in heavy cover, a lot of times a lot of uh, a challenge to locating a bird when it falls like into the dead cattails or whatever. It can be real difficult. And then when you're duck hunting or goose hunting, you know, those are going to be, can be land retrieves. Certainly the goose often are. So your dog retrieves whatever is being shot on land. And then your dog does, retrieves whatever is being shot on water. So for both of these things, regardless of whether you're going to compete or going to hunt, there are some fundamental things that you need to have present. So one of them would be a dog that understands uh, that they're working for you. Okay, I know that probably goes without having to be said, but they need to be hunting and retrieving for you, not for themselves. That's important when you go into this thing, that they know they watch and they go get it and then they bring it back to you. That's important. If you don't have that, then you're going to be fighting that and all the other stuff. It, you need to have a dog, particularly if you compete, you've got to have a dog that the bird handling is, because you know, they have to deliver to hand. And they can't drop it, pick it up, drop it, pick it up. They have to deliver to hand. And 
why not have that anyway, regardless whether you compete or not? So a good force fetch. A force fetch in the retriever world is not a dog that has been made to retrieve something. That is not what it is. What the force fetch is actually is bird handling or bumper handling, whatever. It is the handling of that. So they know that they, you know, now presumably we're all training dogs that want to go get this stuff because you can't make them want to go get this stuff. And I don't know why you'd want to make them go do something that they hated doing. So they want to go get this. And when they do, they need to not assess the retrievability of it. Oh, that's icky. Or, oh, I've never seen this before. Oh, that has other dog spit on it or whatever. It's like, that's what was, was thrown or dropped for them. And regardless of the condition, within reason, they are to pick it up and bring it back to you. Not drag it by the toe, but pick this thing up, bring it back to you all the way as directly as they reasonably can and give it to you. That stuff needs to be present in their retrieving period without regard to whether it's wet or dry. So you need to have that. It's, and you tend to start on the land because we have a lot more land available unless you're in Minnesota or something than we do water. So you want to make sure that the dog understands the mechanics of the retrieve, which means they are sitting and watching something go down because that's what it's going to be in upland. And that's what it's going to be in waterfowl. That's what it's going to be in a hunt test. And that's what it's going to be in a field trap. They sit and they watch this thing go down, mark it. That's why they're called marks. So that they see where the, the area where this went down. And you start simply by just teaching them the mechanics. So it's not very hard. Go out, pick this up, come back. And again, if you can, you know, if you're, if you're right in a city park, you can't be shooting guns, but you need to be somewhere, go somewhere where you can, you know, shoot a blank pistol or whatever, or literally shoot. So there's the gun, the drop, and they learn, they learn what the area of a fall is. That's very important. And I have a big thing on training, uh, further back on running, training for mark retrieves, period, just mark retrieves. So that would be one to listen to. But they have to begin to understand what the area of a fall is. That's useful in hunting because, you know, if it falls into cattails on the side of the river in the middle of South Dakota, they need to get into the right set of cattails and stay there and dig it out. And that is a skill. And it's a skill that you start on land because it's easier. It won't float away or sink. And you have to teach them to, to identify area of a fall and then have the, the tenacity to stay there and come up with it. And some dogs are, you know, get there quickly and some dogs take a little bit more, but that's a very important skill. And when they do come up with it, then they bring it directly back to you. The dogs going directly and coming back directly as possible. I didn't say perfect straight line directly at it as much as they possibly can comes back to fundamental obedience. How serious are they taking this? Um, do they know that they have to go out there, get that thing, and then come directly back to you? So I don't care whether you never compete and you just hunt. We don't need dogs to take perfect straight lines hunting, particularly if we have icy water or things that are hazards. But what you do need to develop in a dog is the conviction that they have to give their best effort to get to it 
not find, wait a minute, let me, let me see if I can get around this some other way that I don't have to go through the sticky stuff. You, you don't want that because then if they can just make all their choices, we're back to choices like when I mentioned with G, give me your best effort to go get it and then give me your best effort to come back. If you're hunting in ice water and there's a bunch of ice, let's don't go where the ice is. But you want to teach a dog, whether it's just hunting or it's competitive, to give the best effort to go at it and come back. On land, that's not real difficult because don't throw them anywhere where it's not safe for them and teach them starting short and getting longer and challenging them to go do that. Now, when you switch over to water, when you have young dogs, the, usually what happens is little puppies and they're just all excited and maybe they don't like the water in the beginning, but you can get them too if they don't. And then you just do short marks in the middle of something. So they just go out. There's no running around. There's nothing, no place. You're just out in the lake or, or in the middle of the little pond. So they have to go out there and get it and come back. And then teach them the mechanics of a water retrieve uh, where there's simple, no issues other than just go in the water, get it, and come back. You have to teach that first. And if you've done that on land a little bit, it makes this a little bit easier. So out in the middle and come back. No intelligent dog in the planet Earth is going to take a straight line and swim a bunch of water when they could run down the bank, jump in for 20 feet, get it, come and come back. I mean, if you're hunting in the winter, that's what you want. The least amount of cold water as possible. But so no dog does that. So we don't want, you must have straight lines in this stuff. However, if you're going to compete, you do not want a dog to learn all the ways to get to the bird the fastest, driest way. So when you set up retrieves for that, and I would do it, I do it for the hunting dogs as well, so that their best effort is usually directly into the water and to get it and to bring it back. So I purposely set up marks where going right at it is the best thing to do, is the easiest. If you're going to compete, that is where you teach dogs the unnatural thing of get straight into the water, go directly into it, even if there's shoreline 20 feet over, and go swim all the way down to the water to get the bird and come back. To do that requires that you are able to handle that dog because you're going to have to stop and cast them, which requires having gone through uh, the handling program on land and then the swim by program in water where you teach them how to handle in water because just because they can handle on land does not mean it makes a sense in the water because on land what are they 24 inches up on land above the ground and when they're in water their eyes are two inches above the ground it's a very different thing so that's why you go through the teaching them to handle in water and the swim by program that's it. So regardless of whether you're doing an upland retrieve or a goose retrieve out in a corn stubble field, um, you want them to know, mark the area of a fall and go to it. And in the water, the difference is you want them to be direct. Um, and if you're going to thinking about competing, then don't te ever teach them to cheat. Always set up stuff so they go into the middle of the pond or go as directly as, as possible. And then if you are going to go a little bit more advanced, um, then you go into the handling stuff so that you can make sure that they do whatever it is you want to on that. So I hope I answered that question. I changed it around a little bit. Um, land and water and how you approach that. Second question. 
and I like this one, this one's right up my alley, that I got from somebody um, far away who was listening to the podcast and, you know, very much into learning about this, but is not located um, necessarily right next to some good resources for dog people and dog knowledge and stuff. And the question was, and it was a good one, was how do I get better as a dog trainer, as a, you know, my own dog, how do I get better at my, at being a dog trainer when I'm by myself a great deal of the time? And uh, that's a, that, you know, I, I pondered and pondered a little bit on that and thought about that. And I, so I want to comment on becoming a better dog trainer, um, period, because I, I think that's all of our goal or it certainly should be because <laughs> if you think you're there, then you're not, um, because there's always, always so much stuff and, you know, you need to keep an open mind. But I, I want to say, it seems to me that people define a good dog trainer as someone who can tell them how to solve their problems or tell them what to do. And so whoever in a group of people or, you know, on the internet, my favorite, has the answers for all this and it feels so good um and i remember this stage myself it feels so good to you know be the one in the know and to be able to tell people uh oh well what you need to do is or what you this that whole thing um that is the definite that is a definition of a person with a big ego that needs to feel like they're in charge that is not the definition of what a good dog trainer is in my opinion, me, just my opinion, the definition of a good dog trainer is somebody who's not invested in looking like they know everything or what other people think of them, but someone who is invested in the process, the process of teaching and practicing and developing the animal. The people, the person that is, that is invested in that and not the external thing where you look like you know all the stuff, that is, that's a real dog trainer. And that is the person who is going to get better. The one that has, has all the answers is not learning anything and is not improving. But the, but if you want to be one of those people who improves and gets better and better all the time, never mind, um, um, it, how do I say this? Never mind, uh, bestowing your knowledge on everyone else, but instead be emphasizing getting just a little bit better at the details of the process that you are going through. And I will use, I will start at the beginning What basic obedience, just basic obedience. So if you understand what's really happening on basic obedience, everybody thinks it's heel set here or whatever commands you use, and that the dog walks with you and behaves. And actually, yeah, that's a manifestation of basic obedience. But basic obedience is like when I was talking about G earlier. So I'm teaching her force fetch, right? Because I need her to pick up whatever and hold on to it, bring it back. But what I really need when I'm doing that with her is to have her thinking align with what we are trying to get to. That's really what I'm doing. And I, just like I said, she understood reaching for the bumper, but she would do it four times. And then the fifth time she was like, what, this is silly. 
that kind of thinking is not to be punished. We would all be that way if we were being having our ears pinched, how I do it, for force fetch. But what I need this dog to do is get into a frame of mind where she goes, all right, I understand. I can't make it boring. I can't just grind on her, obviously. But I need to have her go, every time she says fetch, I need to do that. And as she understands it more, I make it more challenging. I move it away from her. And so she learns, okay, so it's going to change. It's going to get, but you still have that same response. And I'm getting into that dog's head that this is how we're going to work together. I'm going to be so fair and I'm going to be so patient. And in return, I want you to give me all of your effort all the time. And I'll do my best never to ask too much or to let you off the hook and, you know, let you get away with murder. To become a better dog trainer means you go to that level of working with your dog. If you don't know why you're carrying out certain training things, if you don't know why you want a dog to sit quickly on basic obedience, if you don't know why you want the dog to, to give their quickest version of a, of, a, of a reach for a bumper, if you don't know why that's important, you need to get to that point. Because if you're going through motions on things, then you're not really training. You're just kind of going through motions. And to be a better dog trainer means when you're doing these things on a real fundamental level, you know exactly why and you know why it's important. And I see very often myself and other people, you get caught up in, in going through the motions and getting to the end point, especially the kind of hard stuff where you got to mentally bear down. Most people don't like force fetching dogs very much. And it, you know, I, it's a great thing because to do that, you really need to understand where that dog is coming from, what's, what their perspective is, and how you need to communicate to them to have them understand and get into the kind of thinking that you need. So I don't care what level of dog stuff you're doing. Go back to whatever fundamentals. Go back to the very beginning and let your dog tell you, you know, are they responding just to, and I've said this one before, just to my command, my word? Or do I have to do a certain thing? Do I have to stop? Do I have to, are they responding to my body? Are they doing all that? If you can get yourself to that level where you know what is going on between you and your dog, now you're starting to become a little bit of a dog trainer. If you're not, hey, heel sits, I'm good, let's move on, then you're dancing along on the surface and you're not going submerging into where the meat of everything is. So even if there's not an expert around to tell you, which sometimes is not good because then they do all the thinking for you and you never have to really noodle that out very much. If you know what your end result is, if you know what you're shooting for, or at least have a good idea, and you have a process or at least have something, whether it's written or a YouTube video or a video of some kind, if you, and you see what that process is, you don't just go through the motions of it. What you do is get in your head. This has nothing to do with the dog now. You have to get in your head and imagine what's literally transpiring while you do this. That's when you can do that, when you can really do that, now we're starting to connect with that dog and really we're training what we want to. And at the same time, and this is real important for those of you that are 
that care about this. This is where you start to become competent. Going through motions does not imply competency. It, it, people think so. Not at all. Because if you can watch the really good people that really know this stuff, right? They're not going through the motions whatsoever. They are understanding what's happening with this dog. They are understanding what's happening between them. They understand how to make the adjustments. There's not a human on earth. There's not a video on earth that can tell you how to do that. You have to be able to be there in your thinking and be there in your awareness and watch and learn and observe. And when you can start to observe the impact of what you're doing, saying, what your movement, your presence, when you can begin to understand the impact that has on that dog and see it, now you're starting to become a better dog trainer. So I know it's nice to have good people around. It's nice to have good information. You have to have that. You know, you've got to have it. But the, the, the nitty gritty part where you really do start to become a real dog trainer isn't from talking, but it's from not talking and really being able to go to this place and see what the impact on your dog is and not. And, I, and let me give an example of that. I, I think I had a, I gave this recently at a, a test. I was talking to somebody and, and they were, they were, I, I was talking to them about being bent over their dog while they were doing stuff, running the dog or whatever. They didn't even know they were doing it. Like a lot of people, they have no idea what their body position is, what they're doing. They're just thinking, oh God, we're running marks. Oh, and, and, they, and they don't know what they're doing. So, and this guy was standing over his dog. And so I had him squat down and then I stood next to him and I said, all right. And then I leaned way over him. Well, <laughs> That was very uncomfortable. And I said, right. I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I just moved way into your energy space and you feel it, don't you? And I was like, yeah, right. So that's what I'm talking about. When you do certain physical things with your dogs, it has an impact on them. Are, do you know what that is? Is it one you want? Is it one you don't want? So... Just to be able to run the double T, do some pattern blinds, run a blind, that's pretty good, you know. That, But if you want to be like a better and better dog trainer, back it up, shrink it down, and go into what's going on in the dynamics between the two of you because that's everything. That's where all your good, good things come from. It's where the not good things come from. It's why, what did the dog do that for when they told you, three minutes before that this was going to happen. So on terms of the being the good dog trainer, how do I get better? Um, I, yeah, probably a lot of people would go, what is, I know I don't agree with that. You just need to do it a lot and you'll get a lot better. But if you do it a lot on the superficial going through the motions level, you'll get more practiced at what you do, but I don't think you're going to get better. Because better is when you really understand what's happening and you can make internal and fairly instantaneous adjustments when necessary without even almost having to think about it. That's when you're starting to get pretty good. When you just are connected with the dog and you're completely aware of what's happening and you need to change a little something and you know just what to do and they know just what you're saying, then we're getting into being beyond just somewhat competent. <laughs> we're getting to be really where you're training. And it's not that easy. And it doesn't happen in three weeks. 
And that person isn't the one out there blabbing, telling everybody how to do stuff because they know you can't. So, so anyway, so that's, that's, uh, I love that question. I hope my answer makes sense. I'm sure to some people it will and to some it won't. Um, but thank you for that question. So I'm going to wrap this up now. been half an hour. That's plenty of time. Um, I, so the G thing we're getting, we're doing the force fetch and we're getting into some of the more technical things. You know, we'll, we'll move from force fetch into, um, pile work and all of that. I'm not going to be showing a lot of that. Um, I'll show what I can on Facebook, but after my big Facebook debacle where the European people said that I should be killed or go to prison because of dog training, I'm a little bit hesitant about, you know, putting ear pinch stuff on there because, uh, you know, well, it really caused, I had the sheriffs here wanting to see if we were, you know, this is an animal torture place. So, that kind of burned me a little bit. So I'm going to be cautious. I'll tell you all about it on the, on the podcast. I will film, you know, I love to film the upland. I'll film the marks. You know, we can see when we get pattern blinds, that's fun to, to watch. I'm going to kind of back that off just a little bit, be a little bit careful. Um, so anybody that wants to see the videos again, it's on the Facebook page for this particular podcast and you have to be friends with somebody that's on there and they can invite you on there. So come join us over there if you'd like. Uh, and I'll be back with more G stuff. You know, we're just piling through here, getting to be warm. We were 87 this last weekend, so things are warming up, training a lot of water. I wish everybody good luck on all their tests. A lot of people are being very successful. Love seeing that. Congratulations to all of you. And G and I will be back soon.